Welcome back to True Crime Trine, a podcast where the planets align and three friends chat about true <laughs> crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit they can fit into this podcast. We are your host, Hannah, Sarah, yay, and Meredith. <laughs> Welcome to episode 76. Woo! Woo! Yay! Man, you guys put in work. <laughs> we really did. So I didn't even finish this script. I'm going to free ball off one of the like articles for the very last part. That's fair. Fair enough. <laughs> anyway, we're fine. We're, yeah. we're all fine here. Right? Right. Yes. We are okay. We're here. We have a little biznatch, I think. Yes. So since Sarah's been gone... I was finally able to get into our analytics a little bit and figure some stuff out because it's they only gives you a year, so you got to kind of like go back to like oh. retrace your steps. So we are now welcoming our thirty ninth country, Whoa. Mongolia. What? Excuse what? what? Mongolia? How did you get here? I love it. Mongolia. Do they still have yurts? Was it because of the palace cat? <gasps> maybe oh my god it might have been. this is just like a bunch of palace cats sitting around listening <laughs> and then like they're like the, these this podcast host fucking love us oh uh-huh. we really do because we talked more about palace a couple more times i think yeah i think it's come up at least three times and we always shift so. to talking about palace cats instead of the asteroid that's all i have for housekeeping but welcome mongolia we are very excited that you're listening that's awesome that's so cool all right Cool, cool, cool. Well, today I'm bringing the story of Ruth Snyder. And like Meredith last week, I picked this based on absolutely one single thing. And then I went on a deep dive about it. So (laughs) if you are a true crime buff, you might already know where this is going. But if not, I'm going to keep that thing to myself until it's time to reveal. Ooh, mysterious. A contemporary true crime writer described it. This was a quote, Cheap crime involving cheap people, and I feel seen. (laughs) For Sarah, this case takes place in New York. Sing sing. Yep. The state flower is the rose, or if you prefer, the state bush is the lilac. Ooh. And just for fun. I love lilacs. The state beverage is milk. Okay. What? Yes. The state dog is working canines, and the state muffin is the apple muffin. (laughs) So, muffins and milk. For the big apple? I guess. (laughs) So, muffins and milk could be our food pairing this week. Okay. Okay. Anyway, weird ass shit. (laughs) Well, Ruth Snyder was born in the spring on March 27th, 1895. Making her an Aries. She definitely has some Aries tendencies. We will see this. She will see a problem and she will take care of that problem. Her childhood was fairly uneventful. Her parents were Scandinavian immigrants who would move to New York, and her father would change his last name from Sorensen to Brown because he thought that sounded more American. Her father was a carpenter and was able to support his family of five, but the family had to be extremely frugal. So as a child, Ruth would wish for nice things but would never receive them. Okay. 
She did have a series of health issues in her youth. So she had epilepsy, an intestinal surgery at the age of six, and an appendectomy a few years later. And this appendectomy was botched in some way and left Ruth with various unnamed ailments. Hmm. Uh-oh. The epilepsy never really came back as an adult. Anyway, I'm including this because she prayed the same way that I did when I was a child, saying, quote, I didn't believe in my inner heart God existed, but I went through the motions in case I was wrong. <laughs> Definitely did that as well. Just to I make sure. I think I've done the uh, please, 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 I'll never do this again as long as this is blah, blah, blah. I did that one before. Oh, I was praying every night before I was going to sleep, but it was just like, hey. Sup. Thank you for today. Good night. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like it nothing to say, but I was like, I should yeah. probably make an effort just in case heaven is real. Just in case. Just yeah. in case. So as an adult, she worked for two years for the New York Telephone Company, but she didn't have big career aspirations. She wanted to get married. Okay. And despite her rather drab-sounding childhood, she was a bit of a romantic. And so she wanted more than what she saw as the dull union of her parents. She wanted love and excitement in a, in a relationship. Love. Yes. <laughs> she also wanted to marry as a way to step out of poverty and start enjoying the finer things of life. So, double whammy. You can have, you can have both, ladies. <laughs> well, quick time out. I'm just going to say, Ruth, sometimes your parents... Especially if you had five kids. They're just fucking tired. Not boring. I had three kids, but... Oh. A family of five, uh, including the parents. Oh, total. Okay. Well, but even still. three. Even one. Honestly. Even one. In the 1800s. Yeah. And you guys are poor. I'm sure they weren't living their most romantic life. Right. Well, they're trying to feed their kids. Yeah. <laughs> that's all we got here. All right. While working for New York Telephone... Ruth got yelled at by a man on the other side of the line when she messed up his call. Ruth took it calmly and simply asked him to please excuse her. She didn't mean it. And in the face of that, the man immediately felt bad and said that he wanted to apologize to her in person. And she told him where she worked and received a face-to-face -face apology that afternoon. Oh. This is oddly in line with how I sold my Prius. I got a little hot with the guy at the Toyota dealership. Then apologize, and then he said he would buy my Prius. So it all worked out in the end. <laughs> and I just wanted to get that thing out of my garage because it was just metal, basically, by that point. <laughs> it was I just didn't know what to do with it. But anyway, you know, see you in the wrong, you apologize, you be nice to the customer service people. Mm-hmm. Bit weird to come and apologize to you in person, but okay. Yeah. Over the phone seems fine to me. <laughs> yeah. But nope. <laughs> this man was Albert Schneider, 32. He was very intelligent, handy, and loved the outdoors. He was the art editor for the magazine Motorboating. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. But in this case, actual boats. I was going to say, like, was that even another term yet? I don't think so. Anyway, he spent most of his time out on the water or hiking or bowling, his other passion. Oh, boy. He was also quite taken by the 19-year-old Ruth. Sure, at 32. I, yeah, he was 32, so already he was taken. And, and she had this optimistic, like, fun-loving personality at that time. And so, you know, he was just taken right in. And Ruth was flattered by the attention of an older, sophisticated man. 
Hmm. Albert soon proposed and Ruth accepted with one request. Like her father before her, she wanted an American-sounding name and asked Albert to change his last name from Schneider, which was too Germanic, to Snyder. And he agreed and they were married. No. No. Wow. S-C-H-N's. And it's S-N-Y-D-E-R, which does oh. seem more American, to be honest. That's like the pretzels. Oh, yeah. The Schneider was like S-C-H, no? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I-E-G, like, it was very Germanic. Oh, yeah. but, but he agreed to change his last name. Weird call, but whatever. He agreed, and they were married. Ruth regretted it almost immediately. <laughs> <laughs> what Albert had not shared during their courtship was that he was still in love with the first woman that he had been engaged to. Oh. Yikes. He had been engaged to a girl named Jessie Huchard, but Jessie had died suddenly 10 years ago from pneumonia, so they never got to get married or anything. Okay. Oh, so she's battling a ghost then. She's battling a ghost. Yikes. But this ghost is very present. Albert would talk constantly about how beautiful Jessie had been, would describe her as, quote, the finest woman he ever met. Thanks. He named his sailboat the Jessie G., and hung a large portrait of Jesse in their living room. Uh, and during one intense yikes. fight, Ruth took down the portrait, but Albert demanded that it be rehung, and it was. Ruth didn't take this well, and for good reason. It sounded like Albert was just always comparing Ruth to Jesse, and Ruth was always coming up lacking in these comparisons. So, yeah. Yeah. And Jessie had liked to talk about art and culture. And Ruth liked to go dancing, going out to dinner, and having a fun time. And so, obviously, Jessie was the better girl. Anyway, Ruth would later say, quote, I don't know what possessed me to marry him. His interests were not mine. I think I know. She wanted to step out of poverty. <laughs> yeah. 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 I got, I got it. And there wasn't really anything that she could do. She was a good housekeeper, a good cook. None of that mattered to Albert. There's only one love of his life, Jesse, forever. Jesse, forever. <laughs> oh, you could put that with the roses. <laughs> when Ruth found out that she was pregnant, she had the exceedingly common hope that the baby would fix the relationship. Oh, no. Oh, it did not. Oh, sweet thing. It did not. Albert was uninterested in childbearing, and even more so when the baby turned out to be a girl. Mm. Guess she can't take her motorboating. Ugh. Did they name her Jessie? No, they named her Lorraine at the very fucking least. Okay. Albert also made sure to let Ruth know that having a baby had ruined her figure. Ooh. Fuck the fuck off, Albert. What a dick. I don't like this man. Ugh. When Ruth was about 32, her mother moved in with the little family, and suddenly Ruth had a lot more freedom, because her mother could act as the babysitter for Lorraine. Okay. So Ruth was very extroverted. She was an Aries, and mm -hmm. she had been feeling super stifled at home over these past years. Like, no interaction besides with Albert the asshole. And so, <laughs> yeah. like, she jumped this chance to go to parties and to go out to eat and was having a, a grand time. Mm -hmm. And one day in 1925, when she was out eating lunch with a friend, this friend introduced her to Judd Gray. Ooh, Judd. Judd. Judd Gray was a corset salesman. <laughs> And a member of the Corset Salesman of the Empire Club, whatever that is. Fancy. Fancy. Sounds constricting. It does. <laughs> and this may be what had drew Ruth to Judd in the first place, because due to all of Albert's nagging, she was pretty self-conscious about her figure. So their first meeting was more of a sales call 
Okay. She's actually interested in the corsets, but they quickly began an affair. Okay. Judd was also married. At 22, he had married Isabel, who had been his girlfriend since he was 16. He also seemed to regret getting married, as he described Isabel as such, and hold some space for mommy issues, in this very long quote. (laughs) Judd would say about Isabel, Isabel, I suppose, one would call a home girl. She never really had trained for a career of any kind. She was learning to cook and was a careful and exceptionally exact housekeeper. As I think it over searchingly, I am not sure, and we were married these many years, of her ambitions, hopes, her fears, or ideals. We made our home, drove our car, played bridge with friends, danced, raised our child, ostensibly together, married. Never could I seem to attain with her the comrad- comradeship, comradeship, the friendship that formed the bond <laughs> between my mother and myself. <laughs> I'm fucking not quite verbatim. Uh, not quite verbatim, but... Never could I seem to attain the friendship that formed the bond between my mother and myself. Oh boy. So... <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, and also, Judd, you probably never fucking asked her what her dreams were. Come probably on. not, because yeah. she was too busy being exact in her housekeeping. And it was fuck. the eight, late 1800s, early 1900s. Yeah. A career woman was not, like, a good thing to be. Shut up, Judd. Yeah, you can't possibly think for yourself. So, Ruth would lean into these mommy issues and ask Judd to call her by the pet name Mommy or Mama. No. And I'm going to bring that up so a lot. So is it better to compete with someone's mama or someone's dead ex-lover? Ugh. A mama, apparently, because she was way more successful with Judd. I guess she never tried to ask Albert to call her Jessie. Judd was delighted to call her Mommy or Mama. Oh. That's gross. Uh, It's bad. Uh, He also had a much stronger emotional and physical connection to Ruth than he did for his wife, obviously. Ruth felt the same and also found Judd to be a good sounding board as she aired out all of her grievances against Albert. And there were many. There were many. There were many, like, rightfully, Mm -hmm. rightful grievances. Yes. (laughs) Albert was a dick. Albert should never have gotten married. He was doing great as, like, a single sportsman on his boat with his boobies, but, like... (laughs) His boobies? I don't know. Motorboating. Motorboating. (laughs) The ghost boobies of Jesse Gishard. Yeah, so, he could have just been a single dude. He would have had a great time. If the couple, this being Ruth and Judd, had been drinking, the conversation would sometimes turn to murder. (laughs) Ruth would claim the plan to murder Albert was originally Judd's idea. Well, Judd would insist that it was definitely Ruth's idea, and that Ruth had also told him of several attempts where Ruth had tried to kill Albert by herself. (laughs) Either by shutting Albert in the garage with the car running, using household gas, a la John Christie, or (laughs) spiking his whiskey with bichloride of mercury. Oh. Albert stubbornly survived all attempts on his life. Damn it. Ruth also had three different insurance policies on her husband. Wow. Two of them were piddly little things. We don't have to worry about them. But the third was for $45,000 and included a double indemnity clause that would pay double if Albert met his death by an unexpected act of violence. And using the inflation calculator, the original policy had a $760,000 payoff and a $1.5 million payoff if Albert met his death by violent ends. Do they even have those anymore? 
It seems like a like, bad idea. Suspicious. It seems a like a suspicious. bad idea. It's probably more like if it was like an accident. Okay. So like a car accident. Oh, versus being like cancer. Yeah. But would yeah. you need more money if it were cancer? Yeah. Before you were dead. Yeah. Or to pay the hospital bills. Yeah. Yeah. Well, back to the murder. Murder. <laughs> murder, most foul. Both Ruth and Judd's versions of Albert's death began the same way. Judd took a trip to Kingston, New York, where he purchased chloroform, a sash weight, which don't seem to be that heavy, like five to eight pounds. Yeah, but if you've got chloroform on you. Yeah, and a picture wire. Oh. Oh, wow. Yes. Does sound very violent indeed. Yes. Probably why I had to go to Kingston. <laughs> they also agreed that they met at the same restaurant where they had first met, and Judd passed the package to Ruth. It was a short meeting, as Judd told Ruth, quote, I'm in an awful hurry, Mommy. I have to catch the 125 train. Mommy. <laughs> no. It's so wrong. It's such barf. All right. At this point, their stories diverge, so we'll go with Ruth's version first, as I think it's the one that's least likely to be true. Oh, okay. Liar, liar, plans for hire. According to Ruth, what was in that package was a flesh reducer, which is not as bad as it sounds. Um, uh, how? It was a piece of quack medical equipment and was a rolling pin device that was supposed to, quote unquote, melt fat. Oh, okay. Okay. Flesh reducer. Nice. Sounds pretty metal. <laughs> yeah, they really did not hold back on the naming. And like, she would say like, oh yeah, she asked Judd to get this for her. There was also the sash weight, some mystery powders, and a note from Judd. Uh, the note explained that the mystery powders should be used to spike Albert's drink, as they would make him groggy, and then an easy target for Judd to dispatch with the sash weight. Ruth would say that she was horrified, that she dumped the powders down the sink, and planned to give the weight back and to call off the affair with Judd. However, she did leave the back door unlocked on March 20th, 1927, as Judd instructed her to do in the note. Hmm, that's not great. Why? Well, it's like a pre-birthday present. You said she was born on March 27th. Oh, God. Yes, but this was to kill her husband. <laughs> this year, I want... A funeral. <laughs> so Judd was able to slip into the house around midnight while the Snyders were at a friend's house playing bridge. They returned home around 2 a.m., Albert being quite drunk. He fell into bed immediately while Ruth put their daughter to bed. As she was walking back to the bedroom, she saw Judd waiting in the guest room. She changed into her nightgown and laid in bed next to Albert until she felt sure that Albert was asleep. Then she got up, dragged Judd downstairs, and asked him what he was doing there. Oh, yeah, that's very not believable. What are you doing here? I left the door unlocked for you. Weird. <laughs> what do you think you're doing? Judd replied, quote, Don't let me go through with it tonight. I'm going to get the pair of us. It's him or us. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's an escalation, sure. Uh, yes. Ruth pleaded with Judd not to kill Albert. Uh, Ruth thought she had finally convinced Judd, and so she went to the bathroom. And while in the bathroom, she heard a loud thud. She ran to the bedroom and saw Judd standing over Albert with the weight in his hand. She fainted, and when she regained consciousness, Albert was dead. Okay. Judd mm -hmm. then told her, quote, I have gone through with it, and you have to stand just as much of the blame as I have. We can frame up a burglary, and we'll both get out of it. They did a terrible job framing up a burglary, though, as they just put some of Ruth's jewelry under the mattress. <laughs> and, like, knocked some furniture around. Whatever. 
Like, can't even be bothered to really get rid of the jewelry. Just take the jewelry. Or you could just leave and throw it outside. And act like they dropped it or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's really nice jewelry, though. Oh, yeah, we couldn't risk it. Yeah. Judd then tied Ruth up and put a gag in her mouth before leaving the residence. Or so Ruth says. Mm-hmm. Judd has a different story. He did meet Ruth in the guest room, but this time she asked him, quote, You're going to do it, aren't you? Oh. Judd was terrified, but replied, I think I can. The pair then moved to the bedroom, and Judd struck the first blow, hitting the sleeping Albert on the head with the weight. All that did was wake Albert up, who began fighting for his life, grabbing Judd by his tie and starting to choke him. Ruth picked up the weight and hit Albert for a second time, but Albert refused to go down. Ruth then stuffed chloroform-soaked rags into Albert's nostrils, and they tied his hands and feet. Still not dead. And the couple started to panic a bit. Ruth screamed, This thing has absolutely got to go through or I am ruined! Judd hit Albert for the third time with the weight, but the man still would not die, so Judd yelled, Momsy, Momsy, for God's sake, help! Momsy? Yes. What the fuck? (laughs) Yes, I said I was going to keep bringing it up. (laughs) At this point, Ruth wrapped the picture wire around Albert's throat and tightened it until he stopped breathing. Oh my god. Wow. They incinerated their clothes and staged a robbery. Judd added an additional xenophobic detail, saying that he dropped a scrap of Italian-language newspaper in the bedroom in order to lead the police towards those dirty immigrants. Jesus. Then tied Ruth up, put the cheesecloth gag in her mouth, and then added one more dramatic detail. Before he left the room, he turned back to Ruth and said, quote, It may be two months, it may be a year, and it may be never before you see me again. Okay. Uh-huh. Judd really tried to set up an alibi for that night. So he was a traveling salesman, so he was always in and out of hotels. Okay. He booked a room and then gave the key to his friend Haddon. Judd told Haddon that he was going out with Ruth that night but needed a cover story. So Haddon went to Judd's hotel room, messed up the sheets, called out of the desk to let the clerk know that he wasn't feeling well and didn't want to be disturbed, and mailed some letters on the way out. Not suspicious? Wow. The hotel clerk's like, why the fuck do I care? I know, I'm like, I wasn't going to call you anyway, it's the middle of the night. Yeah. So in theory, Judd was doing a decent job at establishing an alibi, but in practice, he was acting guilty as fuck. <laughs> uh, at a bus stop, he started talking to an elderly man while they both watched a policeman across the street who was shooting a row of beer bottles. <laughs> why not? As one does. In the street. You gotta get your target practice in, man. Judd joked to the elderly man that, quote, I would hate like hell to stand in front of him and have him shoot me. Okay, Judd. Well, then he followed that up by shouting across the street to the policeman, I wouldn't want you shooting me! What a fucking weirdo. What a goober. Judd also stuck out in the taxi driver's mind because of a particularly insulting small tip that Judd had given him. So the taxi (laughs) driver was a key witness after this. (laughs) He's like, cheap fucking bastard. Right? Back at the Snyders, Lorraine Snyder, Albert and Ruth's daughter, had been sleeping peacefully when she was suddenly awakened by knocking on her door and her mother's voice saying, Lorraine, Lorraine, come quick. How old was she at that point? No idea. (laughs) I don't even know what her birth date is. We do not know very much about Lorraine. She kind of disappears after this. Probably for the better. Poor Poor kid. Well, like, she didn't get disappeared, but like. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. 
No, but I mean, like, better that she stayed away from, like, the public eye with, like... Oh, yeah. yeah. She might have got adopted by Ruth's mother, since Ruth's mother was already taking care of her a lot, but it's unclear. Lorraine rushed out of bed, opened the door, and found her mother lying on the floor and bound with rope. Unclear how she got there and knocked on the door. But panicked, Lorraine ran to her parents' room, where she found her father, bloody and oh. quite quite dead, oh, no. lying on the bed. She has to see it. Oh. Mm-hmm. She ran to a neighbor's, sounded the alarm, and the police arrived shortly after. Did she not untie her mother? I hope not. No, the neighbors actually did. Oh, <laughs> that's hilarious. She's like, stay here, mom. I'm gonna I'm gonna go get another adult because you can't be trusted. <laughs> well, you're obviously in a bit of a bind. So um <laughs> Yeah, I did that for you, Meredith. The puns. As bad as fucking Marty. I have my moments. <laughs> uh yeah. Anyway, like she just lied on the floor of the hallway till the neighbors came and then they untied her eventually, but whatever. Okay. The police very quickly came to the conclusion that this was a staged burglary. A conclusion that was well supported when the quote-unquote missing jewelry was located under the mattress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know. A police officer flipped through a bank book where he saw a $200 check had recently been made out to a one Judd Gray. Judd Gray's information was in Ruth's address book. They also found a pin with the initials JG on it, and they assumed it was Judd Gray's pin. In this, they were actually wrong, as the pin was engraved JG in honor of Jesse Gouchard and was Albert's pin. Oh. oh fucker. That's Jesse just being like, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you again. Fuck you. <laughs> While investigating the house, the mail arrived, which included a letter from Judd Gray. We just can't get enough of Judd Gray in this fucking house. I know. This letter was oddly cheerful, considering it was written after they had killed Albert, and it opened with, Hello, Mama! How the dickens are you this bright, beautiful day? What the fuck? The letter was postmarked from Syracuse, which is where Judd had fled to after the murder. So they okay. got Judd pretty easily, too. Wait. It wasn't even like a staged one of like, look, I'm not here. I'm far away. Nope. He was oh in God. Syracuse just chilling. <laughs> the taxi driver remembered taking to the train station. The train conductor yeah. remembered him being weird on the train. Like, it was a whole thing. <laughs> uh, he left a trail of witnesses. If you act fucking sketch, people will notice you. <laughs> yeah, dude. It didn't take long for Ruth Snyder and Judd Gray to be arrested for first-degree murder and to give their confessions, in which they try to place as much blame as possible on the other, as we have seen. Mm-hmm. Like, Judd's version is probably the more true version. The press fucking loved covering this murder. I bet. One journalist would refer to it as the dumbbell murder, because it was, quote, so dumb. And they were, he was killed by a weight. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was great. So this killer couple were often labeled the granite woman and the putty man. Judd was slight, small frame, soft-smoking, and submissive. So the running story was that he had fallen under Ruth's spell, as Ruth was a powerful woman who easily dominated him by acting like his mother. Pretty easy to fucking do, actually. Mm, Yeah. If you want to manipulate a man, if you want a man to, like, if you want a real relationship with a man, don't do that. But if you want to manipulate a man that has a mommy issues. Oh, yeah. Ruth figured it out. <laughs> a reporter for the Daily Mirror would write, quote, Poor Judd Gray. He hasn't it. He hasn't anything. He's just a sap who kissed and was told on. Okay. Okay. Judd's defense attorney would go further, describing Judd's situation as, quote, The most tragic story that has ever gripped the human heart. <laughs> 
It's not. No. His lawyer claimed that Judd had been a law-abiding citizen before he met Ruth, which it seemed like he was, and then Judd had been duped by, quote, a designing, deadly, conscienceless, abnormal woman, a human serpent, a human fiend in the disguise of a woman. Okay. He had been drawn to this hopeless chasm when reason gone, mind was gone, manhood was gone, and when his mind was weakened by lust and passion. (laughs) It's a lot. Yeah. For the courtroom. (laughs) Ruth's defense attorney wasn't quite so flamboyant, but did try to paint her as a wronged woman who had tried to be a loving wife to a man who would ignore her at best and verbally and physically abuse her at worst. No actual information as to if Albert was physically abusive or cared enough (laughs) to be physically abusive. Be more like Jesse. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, I could see that though. I could... But I could also just see him being like, fuck, I'm ignoring her. But they're defaming the dead, too, which is like, mm, it's hard to... He's kind of a douche. Yeah. There are definitely things that he did do. Like, this whole thing about Jesse. he seemed to be a little mean, and he didn't seem to try at all. Do we know that he beat her? No. Uh, yeah, that's the part that I'm like... That's hey. the part we don't know about, and that's the part I, I honestly don't see it as much, just because he really just did not care for her and was busy doing his own thing and leaving yeah. her alone all the time and whatever. Yeah. Anyway, despite their best efforts, the jury took only 98 minutes to deliberate and came back with the verdict of guilty for both defendants, and the sentence for first-degree murder was death. Okay. They were both sent to Sing Sing to wait for their appointment with the electric chair. I like that it's an appointment. <laughs> well, it's it's definitely scheduled. It's in the book. It's like, I can't, I can't be late for my reservation. <laughs> But I just saw a meme that was like talking about how reservations are so weird because you. I, I think I will send that to you. And it was like, I'm here for my spaghetti appointment. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that. Not so much the electric chair appointment, but a spaghetti no. appointment. I'm down for that. That sounds great. While in prison, Ruth Snyder would convert to Roman Catholicism, which some people said was a calculated ploy to win sympathy from the New York State governor, who was also a Catholic. Hmm. Not a great ploy because he was even less inclined to offer clemency to those who shared his religion so as not to be accused of religious favoritism. Ruth did have her admirers while in prison and received somewhere between 150 and 200 marriage proposals from submissive men who would just love to have her dominate them. Will you be my mommy? Oh, mommy issue man. Yeah. I just saw this comedian who was talking about how he was like, crazy is subjective. And he was like, so to like one guy, you know, if he said like, she slashed my tires and stole my phone, that bitch is crazy. He was like, to somebody else, he'd be like, hmm, so you're telling me you couldn't get away or call for help. (laughs) Anyways, I laughed a little harder than I should have, but... (laughs) Ruth focused on writing. She wrote her memoirs, which would be published in the New York Daily Mirror under the title, quote, My Own True Story, So Help Me God. Oh, Lord. It was not great. Confusing mishmash of memories and moralizing. So Ruth believed that her downfall had started when she first committed adultery. So she spent much of her memoirs warning other women to not have affairs, and she got real preachy while she was doing it. Quote, 
I wish a lot of women who may be sinning could come here and see what I have done for myself through sinning. Maybe they would do some of the thinking I have done for months, and they would be satisfied with their homes and stop wishing for things. They should try to get along without when they can't have them. Thanks, <laughs> fucking Ruth. Just like you did? Yeah, yeah. Okay. She also wrote a poem directed towards the press. Oh, Lord. It's one of those poems that I don't get. It doesn't rhyme, but... Oh, man. Yeah. Anyway, it goes like this. Quote... You blackened and besmeared a mother. Once a man's plaything, a toy. What have you gained by all you've said? And has it brought you joy? Oh, shit, I guess it does rhyme. <laughs> Imagine that. It wasn't written in, like, stanza verse. It was just written in, like, one continuous line. And I wore some weird, like, hyphen, so I didn't think it... Well, all right, then. This poem did not change the nation's hearts, nor did it make the press feel bad about itself. <laughs> Ruth's execution would be the first execution of a woman in 30 years, which was hot news, and inspired a lot of emotions in readers, mostly leaning towards the idea that Ruth deserved what she got, and Judd was mostly innocent, and his main crime was falling under Ruth's spell. She's a witch! Well, honestly, Judd was kind of a, like a nothing man. Sure. He could have. This, honestly, I, I kind of think he did. And she brought her Aries energy to match. We got this to happen. Mm -hmm. The New York State Executioner, known as the State Electrician. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, wow, that nickname, though. Uh-huh. He received a lot of letters from people who were eager to help him on this one. Okay. One lady would write, quote, If you don't want to do it, will you let me have first offer? I wouldn't mind one bit to execute Mrs. Snyder. It is just what she should get. The chair. I could wow. execute her with a good heart. I also think that if they did have a woman executioner to execute a woman, it would take a whole lot off your mind. If you would like to have me help you the night she is put in the chair, I'd be more than glad to do so. I hope to hear from you soon. <laughs> <laughs> On July 12th, 1928, Ruth was executed. She had to be supported by two women as she entered the death chamber, and when she saw the electric chair, she started screaming hysterically and went limp. Understandably. Prison officials rest rested her into the chair, strapped her down, and placed a black hood over her head, which seemed oh. to calm her down. Like it does for parrots, I guess. Okay. You put a blanket over the cage and they'd be quiet. Yeah. They were like, oh, it's nighttime, I guess. Okay. Night-night. Ruth's last words were the same as Jesus's. <laughs> Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So, sure. Uh, wow. The executioner who flipped the switch would be the state electrician, not the enterprising and eager letter writer from earlier. Yeah, okay. You kind of have protocols. Yeah, you know, uh, you just can't show up. It, it just can't be an amateur. Yeah. Judd Gray went to the chair immediately after Ruth and died six minutes after Ruth. Efficient. That's why he's a state electrician. Also, he didn't struggle. So, so they like dead, replace, dead. Mm -hmm. Like that's quick business, man. Super fucking quick. Well, when you're good at your job. <laughs> Paid per job, not by the hour. <laughs> yeah, so there's no reason for the electrician to dick around. <laughs> John was much calmer about the whole thing. He Aww. had received a letter from his wife forgiving him for the whole thing, which is a bit much. Isabel, you deserve better. Mm -hmm. He told the warden that he was ready to go, and he, quote, had nothing to fear. His last words came from the, and I wish I didn't write this, Beatitudes? One more time. His last words came from the Bible. Okay. <laughs> quote, 
Blessed are the pure in spirit. To which the prison clergyman replied, Blessed are those that mourn. And then the switch was flipped for the second time that day. Okay. Some newspapers say it wasn't a great execution and that his feet might have caught on a fire, but other ones say it went <laughs> other ones say it went fine. Oh no. So it's, it's hard to know what to do here, but he was dead very quickly. Okay. So, why this case? Any guesses? I have one. Okay. I don't have a guess. You cheated. I did, so I won't no, I do not have a guess. Okay. Why Why this case right now or why this case in general? Why he chose it at all. I wanted to see what Judd looked like and then I came across it. Yeah. I won't spoil it. Go for it. Surprise us. Here we go. Ruth Snyder was in the chair being literally electrocuted. A very enterprising young reporter captured a photo of it. Oh no. Which you can find when you search Ruth Snyder on the internet immediately. It's insane. It's insane. And so obviously the prison officials did not want a photograph of an execution. And I think this was also just the first photograph of any execution in the electric chair, let alone of a woman. And so um, Tom Howard was an out-of-town reporter, and he kind of got in because no one knew who he was, I guess. The prison officials were all suspicious of the New York media. Mm. So he had, like, a camera strapped to his ankle, like a single-shot camera strapped to his ankle. There'll be a picture of this. It's a fairly large camera yeah. <laughs> for, for the guards not to notice. Like, don't worry about my strange growth. I'm going to have the doctor check it out on Monday. Yeah, I have an ankle goiter. <laughs> and then there's, like, a wire that ran up his pants leg, and then he could, like, press the button, and it will take a single picture. What if he fucks up the timing and he's like, oh, wait, I need another one. Well, then he tried. Yeah. And obviously he couldn't see what he's taking a picture of either. So he just kind of angled his shoe towards the chair okay. and pressed the button. Honestly, he got it. And the next morning, this photo was splashed across the front pages of the New York Daily News under a headline that simply read, Dead! Oh my god. So a very short <laughs> headline for the 1920s. It's bonkers. It's super blurry. Yeah. You see the hood. You kind of see her fingers like holding on to the arms of the electric chair. Mm -hmm. And she was actively being electrocuted at this point. So you're like, this is a picture of someone dying. Maybe that's why it's blurry. Yeah. It might be. Because of it like, Ugh. Or Tom Howard just like, oh fuck, oh fuck, and trying to get the good picture. But <laughs> that's why I chose this case because I saw this picture. Wow. This picture is insane. I was just going to add the title was in 172 point font, which I find fascinating. I like the slanty exclamation point. Uh-huh. <laughs> like that's got to be the italics. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So there'll be posted photos. Y'all can look it up right away if you want. That's the first photo you'll see if you look at Ruth Snyder. I don't remember how exactly I got here, though, because I didn't Google Ruth Snyder. I somehow just found this picture. Okay. I don't really want to follow my mind too closely, so we're going to move on. Tom Howard got a $100 bonus for that photo. Wow. He deserved it. Is this where, like, paparazzi came from? I don't know, because I feel like photos were still kind of slow back in the day. Yeah. It was definitely where prison photography came from, and prison procedure changed quite drastically after that, and people were... Very thoroughly padded down before being let into the yeah. Um, yeah. execution room after this Because if he point. can sneak that in, what else could he have snuck in? Yeah, a gun. Uh, yeah. 
I'll put literally a picture of the camera strapped to his ankle too. It was like, it's not small. And they all wore like sh- kind of short pants in this way. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, how is that so easily hidden? You know, they had a lot on their minds that morning. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, in my idea here, I think Ruth was an Aries and that she did control Judd. Maybe simply by pretending to be his mother, but that was enough. Yeah. And she did get rid of the problem in her life. But like, she didn't have enough Earth in her to like, or Scorpio to be like smart about it. Yeah. <laughs> that was the main issue here with the Aries. A little too impulsive, doesn't always plan out all the details. And so they will act and then get caught for the act. Yeah. So Aries, if you're listening to this and you want to commit some revenge, find yourself a Scorpio friend. Yep. Or a Capricorn friend. Too. Yeah. A Scorpio friend will enjoy planning this, and a Capricorn friend will just be very good at it. And make sure that you don't get caught. Oh, yeah. They will make sure that you get rid of the jewelry. (laughs) Oh, my God. Like, dumbasses. And, like, chaperone Judd so he doesn't act like a fucking idiot in front of every single person he meets. Judd probably wouldn't have made it out of the house. Judd would not have been in the plans. (laughs) We would have blamed Judd, but he would not have been in the house. Yeah. 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 He's not reliable. You can't Uh have a sub do everything. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) That's all I have. But the picture is um, rather haunting if you think about it. Yeah. Literally the moment that it was taken, what was happening. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's wicked, weird, and interesting. Super duper. I'm surprised at, like, how many pictures of, like, lots of stuff they had going on. Because there's a lot of pictures associated with this. There's a lot of press on this case. Mm -hmm. And I think cameras, they were no longer, like, putting the soot in and, like, standing still for a minute and flashing the camera or whatever. Like, cameras worked a lot better at this point. And it was probably a relatively new medium as well. So Mm -hmm. they were excited about it. But there was a ton of press about this. They've got the crime scene photos, too. Oh, yeah. Murderpedia? Yeah. Anyone that works for Murderpedia, contact us. Where do you find some of these fucking pictures? (laughs) I need to learn from you how to super sleuth like this. It's bonkers. Because honestly, not a ton about Ruth Snyder on the internet either. Yeah. Most of it came from Murderpedia. Surprisingly very little known about her. But for being this iconic photo, but people forgot about the photo as well. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know this existed. I didn't know this I've case heard, either. I've heard her name before because, like, she's, I don't know, the his, the history of Sing Sing came up in one of my things. And I remember saying oh. her name on one of those lists. Okay. But crazy. Uh-huh. All right. Well. I love it. Ass news? Yeah, I got some ass news. Ass news? Man, I leave for a few months and this is what I come back to. <laughs> you gotta listen to the back catalog, Sarah. Biznatch ass Biznatch news. Biznatch ass, ass news. news. But yeah, so astrology. So for the last couple weeks, I have brought you some bullshit, less than happy, like astrology news. So this week, I'm going to lighten, lighten it up a little bit. This episode is going to air on Monday, September 26th. And on Monday, September 26th, the sun in Libra is going to be opposition with Jupiter and Aries. Oh, I forgot we're hitting Libra season. Yeah. <laughs> It's okay, like, Virgo season has hurt, so that's fine. So, opposition can sometimes be tricky, but in this case, this is a very optimistic aspect, and you might just come across some good luck if you aren't greedy. So, just keep that in mind. Okay. It's contingent upon you as well, so... I don't think I'm super greedy, so... 
I just want to, I just want to live, man. Yeah. <laughs> and Tuesday, September 27th, Mercury in Virgo will be trying with Pluto in Capricorn. Earthy time. Yeah, very earthy. And this actually is going to be a really good day to do some script research. Oh, it oh is. yeah. Ooh. That makes yeah. sense. So right. it's basically time to hit the books. I need to read that book about Mothman. Yeah. So, or the internet in my case, because I haven't read a book and book yet, but that's all right. I have one and I'm going to read it. You edit the episodes, I read the books. (laughs) We all have roles. And then also on September 27th, Mars and Gemini is going to be trying with Saturn in Aquarius. So we get like this double trying, double positive. And so what this is going to give us is the feeling of being innovative And so we are going to be able to achieve these goals as long as we put the work into it. So also good for script writing. Yeah. Tuesday is going to be quite productive and I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. So maybe I can get some fucking shit done. (laughs) Maybe. And then Thursday, September 29th, Venus enters Libra. So Venus focuses on the importance of relationships and kind of finding harmony in our relationships. But remember, it's not always romantic. While Venus is in Libra, we will be less assertive, but we can use our charm if we want. (laughs) On the people it works on. Yeah, to get the things that we need. So, I mean, ups and downs in that, but not bad. And then on, also on September 29th, Ceres enters Virgo. Too bad it wasn't Palace. I know, right? (laughs) That could have been a perfect wrap up to this episode. (laughs) But Ceres enters Virgo, and we've talked about this before. It does represent like the cycle of loss and return and then attachments and relationships. But really, it has a really big focus on self-nurturing or self-care, which we really love. We love that here. So when Ceres is in the very service-oriented Virgo, it's going to be important to remember that the time that you spend should be on yourself and actually not on tending to the needs of other people. So kind of a caution there, but not bad though, because you do need to do self-care. We highly recommend it. And Saturday, October 1st, as we enter October, Venus in Libra will be opposition with Jupiter and Aries. And again, opposition can be tricky, but this is not a bad one, actually. So this is actually going to bring an end, an absolute end to some toxic energy we are experiencing, (sighs) which is well needed, honestly. (laughs) Yes, please. So keep that in mind. And it's going to end that toxic energy, whether we realize that it's toxic or not. So it could just be something that's been negatively impacting you. And maybe you're not really even aware of it. So, I mean, this is going to be a good day to be done with some shit. (laughs) All right. Don't be like Isabel and forgive your stupid ex-husband that killed someone for someone else. Yeah. Cut that man out of your (laughs) life. (laughs) Toxic. And then finally, on Sunday, October 2nd, Mercury goes direct into Virgo. So there's still going to be a few lingering days of retrograde bullshit. Shadow period. Yeah. But we are going to start moving forward in a more positive way. And it's going to be a good time to start finishing up some important projects. Hannah's face right now, too. Yes, I feel it. Shut up, stars. I'm super excited about this because this retrograde 
nearly dead me in. I say this as we are still actively in retrograde. (laughs) Now we need to knock on wood. I thought about running away at least four times today. Oh, God. Against my better judgment because communication is like bad right now. I made a really snide and like shitty remark to my boss about this other person and their potential kink for someone in suspenders. Oh, no. (laughs) It was super inappropriate and I realized it as soon as it was coming out of my mouth, but there was no take backs on that one. No take backsies. That's Mercury Retrograde. And with that, if you would love to chat with us as much as we would love to chat with you, please hit us up. We are on Twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine, Facebook, TCT Podcast. Email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com. And then check out our website, www.truecrimetrine.com. Bye. 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 Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.